believe I've sunk this low. I walk the planks in inner sanctum. Got out of dodge, stands on a bottomless bonfire. You said north, I headed south, tossed overboard. Good Lord, that's a really large mouth. I'm sleeping with fishes here in the belly of a whale. I'm highly nutritious here in the belly of the whale. Rhymes with common. I'm sleeping with fishes here in the belly of a whale. I'm highly nutritious here in the belly of a whale. I'm ready to breathe. I don't want a belly ache, Lord. How long is this gonna take? And times they come rolling around. And times they come breaking. We'd like to welcome you here to our service of worship. We're going to begin with a video about Operation Christmas Child. Right now, in places all over the world, there are children who feel forgotten and alone, without a home, without a friend, and without hope. But what if love could arrive through a simple gift? When you pack a shoebox with Operation Christmas Child, you're giving much more than a gift. You're helping a child find a friend, experience the love of Jesus Christ, and discover their own potential. In the hands of a child, this small gift has a big future. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. I once was blind. I could not see, chains of sin had shackled me, but God in heaven heard my plea, Jesus, Jesus rescued me, Jesus, Jesus rescued me, I will sing forever of your love, come down, let my hands to heaven shout your praises loud, I was lost in darkness, but you pulled 
Great. 
mountains shake before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty, there is no power in
stand in awe and wonder, on and on, your love goes on and on, the one who was and is and is to come, your love will last forever. Father, we can't even begin to comprehend the love that you have for each of us. When our love fails, your love endures. When our compassion dies out, your compassion is forever. Help us to begin to understand what it means to love like you do, to see the world as you do, to see other people as you do. And help us to trust you. Draw us out. Draw us out in faith knowing that all that we are and all that we will ever be is in your hands, God. Amen. Help me to journey
Father, it is an awesome thing to think that our times are in your hands. That we can trust you with our lives and everything about our lives. And find joy in trusting you. Even in the mysteries of life. Father, we've come to this worship today to to give you praise and glory. We've come to this moment in worship to offer our prayers to you. Knowing that you hear us and you, you invite us. And you do things above and beyond what we can dream or imagine. We pray today for people who are grieving here. I think especially of Dave Butine and his family as they grieve the death of his father. Pour out your healing mercy upon them. We pray for all who are struggling with, with the, the struggles that come in, to us in life. Physical issues and emotional struggles. Mental battles. Relationships that are torn apart, our, our fears about the future, life. We'll replace all of these things in your hands. We ask for your grace, your healing, your presence, and your mercy. Father, we pray not only for us here, but for others outside of this gathering in our lives. We pray for churches around us. We think of the Ashwood Wesleyan Church in Lindenville. Pastor Karen Tucker. May your grace be upon this 
this body of believers as they serve you and as they serve others. Father, we think about our nation. We think of all of the grief and the pain and the fear from the shooting in Las Vegas this week. It's hard for us to comprehend these kinds of things happening. We pray that you will bring comfort and peace and healing into this tragic situation. And we pray that your church will be a presence of hope in the lives of all who have been affected. We think about people who are still recovering from recent disasters down the Gulf Coast and Puerto Rico and Florida and Mexico with the earthquakes. We pray, Father, that you will bring the the needed supplies and and that your people in these places will also be a presence of hope. We think of the larger world in which we live. We hear of wars and rumors of wars and we pray, Father, for peace. We think about Alan and Sherry Shea who are working in Liberia trying to help the radio station there proclaim the gospel and doing that amid illness and uh, elections that are volatile. And we pray, Father, that you will bring your presence to bear on all that they are doing in the nation of Liberia. And we think of our brothers and sisters who do not have the freedom to gather like we do. The Christians in Iraq who face such harsh persecution and are now concerned about upcoming elections in that country that might make it more divisive and more civil unrest, more violence. We pray, Father, that you will bring peace and healing and give your people the opportunity to be a presence of hope and life in great difficulties. Father, we pray for refugees around the world. Help them as they resettle. Help them to to feel at home and safe in very difficult circumstances. And this weekend, when uh, many have come to Houghton College campus, alumni, parents, families, we pray for Houghton College. We pray for students, faculty, staff, administrators. We pray for alumni, for all who are connected to the college. Thank you for all the ways in which the college has been instrumental in our lives. And we pray that you will continue to bless this institution, that it will be a a place of learning and a place of forming and shaping our hearts for you. Father, thank you for all the ways you're at work in our lives, in this church, beyond. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross for us and the one who rose from the dead and has promised to return. We pray in his name. Amen. One of the great joys we have as a church family is to dedicate our children to God. And this morning we have the privilege of doing that again. Tim and Emily, you have, God has blessed you with this little one, and today you come to dedicate him back to God. You're here today because of your own faith in Jesus Christ, 
And in this public act of dedication, you're declaring your desire that he would be raised in the, the love and grace of God within the nurturing spirit of the church. In this act, you're welcoming the prayers and the support of the church and declaring your desire that he would early learn the things of God and that his life would be defined by a lifelong commitment to follow Christ to the very end of his life that he might receive the promise of eternal life with Christ. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education that he may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct his mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct his feet to the sanctuary, to restrain him from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and bless them. Hey, buddy, can you let me hold you? Just for a second? Just for a second? Can I hold you? you can keep your car. Can I hold you just for a second? Okay, great. Thanks. This is traumatic standing up here in front of everybody. I like your car, by the way. That's cool. I think I had one of those when I was little, too. Okay, I'll let you take them back. Can you hold his hand? Okay, there we go. This is good. All right. Oliver Bryce Montagna. I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your family and this church and the kingdom of God. I always like to mention that when we dedicate our children to God, this is sort of a, the fulfillment of a, a threefold covenant. I like to think of it sort of as a triangle that we shape around this little one. The base of that triangle is God. We read in the scriptures over and over again, the one we read, just a small example of God's passion for people, for children, and his, his commitment to them. And we know that he will be faithful every moment. The one side of the triangle is what Tim and Emily have just done, and they, representing their family as well, have said, we will do everything in our power to, to raise Oliver to know Christ and to know the love of Christ and that he will want to follow Christ all of his life. The other side of the triangle is us, the church. We have a huge role to play in the development, the nurture, the faith of our children. Sometimes that happens uh, in structured moments like a Sunday school class or the nursery or children's church. But often it happens in, in unplanned, serendipitous moments. A smile, a warm embrace, just a loving presence. And um, that's so vital to us as a church. And I like to think of that triangle as padded to give him room to bounce around, to think, to explore, to doubt, to ask questions. That's how we learn, and that's okay. And so I want to ask you to stand as, as the church and to affirm your commitment to Oliver and to this family. As the church of Jesus Christ, will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Oliver grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love him, be a godly witness to him, and will you help him to know and accept the grace of God in his life? If so, answer, we will. Amen. Father, thank you for the gift of children. 
And today, thank you especially for Oliver. We pray that you will pour out your blessing upon him. Help him to know every moment of his life that you love him with an unfailing love. That he is your precious child and nothing can ever change that. I pray that as he grows and matures, that he will know your grace upon him in every way. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And that as he grows, his heart will always yearn for you. And that he will know that the joy of following you. Pray for Tim and Emily as parents and the great task that you've given them. This, this great privilege and this great responsibility. We pray that you would give to them all that they need to be the parents that you have called them to be. And to help their son know you and follow you as they, on, on their own journey with you, know you and follow you. Give them all the grace that they need to be the parents that they desire to be and that you have called them to be. And Father, we pray for their extended family. Help them as well to be a a presence and an influence of good and of grace upon this little boy. And Father, for us as a church, help us, Father, to, to be a witness of your love and your presence and your mercy. Thank you, Father. For Oliver, for this family, may your blessing rest upon him and them every day. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. You guys can be seated. Selected readings from the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa, where he found a ship going to Tarshish. Paying the fare, he went on board. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for the help and the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Finding him, the captain shouted, How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will save our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? I am a Hebrew, Jonah answered, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it, they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. 
Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck at the Lord's great power, and they offered a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for the great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. You threw me into the ocean depths. I sank down to the heart of the sea. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head, but you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. With songs of praise I will sacrifice to you, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. Jonah went to Nineveh, and entering the city, he cried, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When king heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he published a decree throughout Nineveh. No one, not even the animals, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals must wear sackcloth and pray earnestly to God. They must turn away from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Who knows? God may yet change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw that they had what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. He complained, Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah went out to the east of the city, made a shelter to sit under, and waited to see what would happen to Nineveh. God caused a plant to grow and covered Jonah's head from the sun. Jonah was very grateful. The next morning, God caused a worm to attack the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God sent a scorching wind, and the sun beat upon Jonah until he grew faint, and he wished to die. Death is better than living like this, he exclaimed. God asked him, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah answered, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. Shouldn't I feel sorry for the great city of more than 120,000 people in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals?
the word of God for the people of God. Let me invite you just to take a moment to uh, just share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. I was getting ready to say it's um, we welcome all of you here for Alumni Parents Weekend and hope it's been a, a great weekend for you and it's always fun to see folks coming back and having a great time together and we're glad you're here this morning. I suspect that most of us have a certain level of familiarity with Jonah. Jonah is probably the most famous of the prophets. I mean, who else has had a VeggieTales movie made about them, right? I mean... That you know you've arrived when they make a VeggieTales movie about you. Jonah is, is, is probably the most famous prophet. He may well be the most misunderstood prophet as well. And we get this story that we just read of Jonah getting a call from God. He goes onto the, he runs the other way. He gets on the ship. You know, they, they uh, cast lots. They point at him. He, uh, he they say, what do we do with you? He says, throw me into the water. And like, no, nah, I don't think so. He goes, yeah, you got to do it. They throw him in the water. And I'm trying to imagine what that felt like, just sort of sinking into the ocean, probably in the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, I, I like swimming in a pool because I can see the bottom. I'm not real fond of lakes. You know, you just know how deep it is, and I'm not exactly sure what that is that I feel on my leg down there either when I'm swimming. And Jonah is sinking, and all of a sudden this fish swallows him. Part of me is wondering, is that better or worse than sinking in the ocean, Right? There are people who have trouble with this part of the story. And, you know, I don't know what your, your sense is of it. When I read it, it seems like he's telling us a real story. But whatever your perspective may be about Jonah and the fish, it, it is, it's, here is Jonah, as Scripture says, he's in the fish. And while he's there, three days, three nights, he decides, I think I'll write some poetry while I'm down here. I mean, what he does, he quotes Psalms. I mean, virtually everything he says while he's in the fish are just snippets of different psalms that he knows and it it does remind us of how important what we sing in church is to us we tend to remember it i don't know i find myself humming singing songs that we sing in church on sunday i find myself remembering those on tuesday and thursday and saturday as they come to my mind music is a gift of god and and the songs that we sing whatever they may be in the church help us. They help us remember. They help us understand. And here is Jonah singing a psalm to God, singing the psalms, what he remembers. It's all coming back to him as he's there. And he gives thanks to God for rescuing him. And the end result is that he gets spit out from the fish onto the land. And God says to him, okay, now Jonah, let's try this again. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against their wickedness. And Jonah goes. Their response has to be one of the greatest miracles in all of history. One of the greatest miracles in all of Scripture. I mean, Jonah 
preaches three days and he says, if Scripture tells us everything he says, all he says is 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. I don't picture Jonah doing that with great amount of enthusiasm either. You know, sort of 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. But they get it. I mean, they get it so much, they all lament. They all put in sackcloth and ashes. They even put the sackcloth on the animals. Have you ever tried to put sackcloth on a chicken? I don't know how you do that. But, you know, all the animals get the sackcloth too. I mean, these people are serious about this. And the end result is God says, I'm going to change my mind. Now, you would think after this miraculous act of repentance, that Jonah would be ecstatic. I mean, this is, every, this is every evangelist's dream. Jonah is going to win every church growth award that they give out, right? Number of converts this year, that goes to Jonah, 120,000. Increase in church attendance, Jonah again wins that one. Just stay up here, you're getting all of them, you know? I mean, it, it, this, is a, this is awesome, And what's Jonah's response? He says, Lord, I am so angry with you. I am so irritated. I mean, the words that are used here, it's hard to put them into English. Very angry, very upset. He is irate. We have have words that, you know, we use in our, in the wider culture that probably would describe a lot of what he's talking about here. I mean, he is angry. He is upset. He is so mad at God. And he says, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. I knew that all it would take is for those people to say, we're sorry, we repent. And you would melt. And it really, really bugs me. In fact, he says, you know what, God, just... Just kill me now. I'm done. I've had enough of this. Just kill me now. Life's not worth living if you're going to be like this. I knew you were a God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, abounding in love. I knew you were a God who loves to forgive people, and I don't want these people forgiven. Now, we hear Jonah say that, and automatically our judgment meters peak up. We're like, geez, what kind of a guy is Jonah? And the moral of the story often is, Jonah's not a good example of what you ought to do as a follower of God. Jonah's kind of a bad guy. But the truth is, Jonah's not a bad guy. Jonah's not evil. Jonah is saying, God, I'm concerned about justice. God, you talk about justice all the time. I mean, we just last week, we've been talking, well, last few weeks, Obadiah, Amos, Hosea, Joel, and all the rest of the prophets are continually talking about justice and how much, God, you hate injustice and what you're going to do about injustice and all the ways you're going to hold people accountable for injustice. And now, here's an opportunity for you to do that. Here's an opportunity to keep your word, to do what you say is important, and you don't do it. And Jonah, Jonah's not, he's not a bad guy. He's just saying, God, don't you really care about justice? You got to understand, 
what Jonah's perspective was of the Ninevites. This is the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And they were, they were famous, infamous, for their cruelty and their ruthlessness. And when you read stories about, about what they do to people they conquer, it turns your stomach. I mean, I'm serious. You pick, take, the, take the worst Stephen King novel you can think of, and it's not even close. I mean, it is ugly, brutal stuff. And we know that's true because they write it all down in the annals of their kings. They're proud of it. Here's what we did to this king. Here's what we did to these people. And they celebrate it. Imagine, think back to the atrocities of the Civil War in Sierra Leone a few years ago. How horrific those things were. You think of that and multiply it a hundred times. You think of the kind of atrocities that evil dictators have done through the centuries. Idi Amin, Hitler. You multiply it a thousand times. You think about the feeling you had when you... When you watched the planes crash into the towers and they crumbled. And then there were images of people in other countries celebrating in the streets. And this is what Jonah's feeling. There is deep, deep passion about the heinous behavior of these people. And they don't deserve God's mercy. They deserve justice. I mean, isn't that why we watch, are so fascinated with superhero movies? I mean, yeah, the costumes are awesome and they drive cool cars and things. But, but you know, it, it's really about justice. Because if, if the actor is really good, by the time the movie gets three-fourths of the way done, you really, really want that person to get what's coming to them. And the movie's complete only when the superhero does what he's supposed to do. When the superhero conquers the evil enemy and gives them what they deserve. And Jonah's saying, God, that's what you should be doing. That's what we want. We want justice, don't we? I mean, we want justice for people who do heinous things. We want justice for people who, who have created, who hurt innocent people. We want justice. We want justice every time we hear of a car bomb going off in a market someplace and killing hundreds of, of innocent women, children, families. We want justice. That's all Jonah wants is justice. And God says, Jonah, I want justice too. You know I do. But you've got to understand, my justice is rooted in love. And the reason for justice is not retribution. The reason for justice is, is um, repentance. The whole reason that I, that I want to address justice is because I want people to change. Not because I'm so angry that I'm going to grind them in the dust. And Jonah is having a hard time grasping that. It's about this Hebrew word, chesed, that's used almost 250 times or so in the Old Testament. It's such a powerful word, it's hard to define. It's often translated as mercy or loving kindness or, or faithfulness or, or goodness. It has such such wide range of meaning, but it's, used, it's what he uses here in this self-declaration of God that, that Jonah quotes when he says, I knew you were a God of compassion and chesed. 
slow to anger, abounding in love, who loves to forgive. Change your mind. And this said of God is saying justice is important and, and, I, and I will address justice. And then the next breath he's saying, but I love you. Come receive my forgiveness if you want it. And Jonah is wrestling to figure that out. You see, this really isn't a story about Jonah and the Ninevites. It's a story about Jonah and God. He says, he, he says in chapter 1, verse 3, that, that Jonah was running away from the Lord, not Nineveh. And he tells the, soul, the sailors on the ship that he was running away from the Lord, not Nineveh. That's really the heart of this whole thing, is that it's about God, and it's about Jonah and God, not Jonah and the Ninevites. And God wants to change Jonah's heart and to fill his heart with the kind of grace that God has. And the real issue of this whole story is not how do you feel about other people, but how do you feel about how God feels about other people? That's the heart of the story. How do you feel about how God feels about other people? That God is compassionate and gracious, and merciful, and patient, and kind, and loves to forgive. A few years ago, someone asked me a question. It's haunted me ever since, and I I haven't yet come to a, a conclusion about it, but I think about it often, and it was this question. If God could find a legitimate way for every single person to receive eternal life, how would that make you feel? If God could find a legitimate way for every person to receive eternal life, how would that make you feel? Now, I'm not saying that, that that's what God does. I, you know, that, that's God's decisions to make. That's not mine. It's a hypothetical question. But it does get to the heart of how we feel about people and how we feel about how God feels about people. And, and often our first response to that question and my first response in the moment has been, but that's not fair. Why isn't it fair? Because I've, I've surrendered, I've sacrificed, I've given my life to Jesus, and they haven't until maybe the very last moment of their life. But you see what that implies. It implies that living your life following Jesus, living your life surrendered to Jesus, living your life sacrificing for Jesus, living your life in intimacy with Jesus is not as good a life as if you live without all of that. And what we have to come to understand is that when you're living your life surrendered and sacrificed and in in intimacy with Jesus, you've hit the sweet spot of life. I mean, that's what life's about. That's why we were created. That's the only pathway to a life of flourishing and joy and freedom and grace. This is life, Jesus says. This is life, John says, to know Jesus and to be transformed by him. That's life. That's life to the fullest. That's what life to what we were created to be. And when we begin to grasp that and understand that, then our heart opens up to say, I want everybody else to experience that. 
And I don't care if what they've done or how late it is for them or how God's going to do it. Nothing would thrill me more than to see every single person in this world have their lives turned upside down and find the grace of God like I have. And it's why we go do what we do. It's why we we bear witness to Christ every day because we want people to experience that now, not at some point down the road. But the problem is, we've not yet grasped that the greatest life is Jesus. And the reason we haven't grasped that the greatest life is Jesus is because we think we deserve the grace that God gives us. We say we don't, and we talk about that all the time. But deep inside, there is something in us that says, at the very least, I deserve it more than they do. And that's Jonah's issue. He deserves grace. They don't. I mean, the whole plant thing, you know, I think that's what God's trying to tell him. He makes the the plant grow, shades him. Jonah's like, this is awesome. But as soon as he takes it away, Jonah's like, what would you do that for? I deserve that plant. And God says to him, okay, you're upset about a plant, but you're not upset about all these people? Don't you think there's something wrong there? And Jonah says, no, because I deserve it and they don't. In, in Matthew chapter 12, the... Um, Religious leaders come to Jesus and say, we want a sign from you about who you are and what you're doing. And he says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three nights and days in the belly of the fish, so I will be three nights and days in the earth. But then he can't stop there and he goes on and says, but let me tell you this. The people of Nineveh are going to stand up against you on judgment day. They repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. And now I'm standing right in front of you. The son of God right in front of you and all the things that I have done. And you reject me. And this is in the context of a little bit earlier in chapter 11. Where Jesus says to them, on that day, the people of Sodom are going to be better off than you are. Wow. Why is it they miss it? Because they think they deserve God's grace. But the Ninevites are acting a lot more like God's people than God's people are. And it's because they can't see that none of us deserve God's grace. Jonah doesn't. The sailors don't. The people of Nineveh don't. It's only because God is gracious and compassionate and he is patient And he's abounding in love and he loves to forgive. He loves to transform us. John Ortberg says that when he and his wife had been married a few years early in the marriage, they sold their Volkswagen Beetle and they bought their first piece of nice furniture. It was a pink sofa. He said it... He said, you know, when you spend that much money on it, they call it mauve, but it was really a pink sofa. He said, the guy at the store told us how to take care of it. We brought it home. And at the time, they had a four-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a six-month-old. And his wife gathered them all around the, the sofa and said, okay, look. He said, here's the number one rule in the house. Thou shalt not eat on the sofa. Thou shalt not sit on the sofa. 
Thou shalt not get near the sofa. Thou shalt not think about the sofa. Of all the other chairs in the house, you may freely sit. But on the day you sit on the mauve sofa, you will surely die. And he said, it went well until the day of the fall. She came in the room and there was a big stain on the mauve sofa. A red stain. A red jelly stain. She called the guy at the store and he told her how really, really bad that was. And so she called the family together and she had the kids sit there and she said, Okay, the guy at the store said that stain is going to stay there for all of eternity. You know how long all eternity is? It's how long we're going to sit here until one of you tells me who did this. Silence. Finally, Mallory, the two and a half year old, cracked. And John says, I knew she would. And she said, "Um, Laura did it. (laughs) Laura said, no, I didn't. More silence. He said, I knew none of them was going to confess to, to, to causing that, that red jelly stain on the mauve sofa because they had never seen their mom this mad before. He said, I knew that they were never going to confess to that red jelly stain on the, on the mauve sofa because they knew that if they did, they would spend all the rest of eternity in the timeout chair. He said, I knew that none of them were going to confess to putting that red stain on the mauve sofa because he said, in fact, I did it. And I wasn't saying a word. (laughs) And then he said, here's the honest truth. All of us have stained the mauve sofa. All of us. And all of us keep on staining the mauve sofa. And the only reason we don't is because of the grace of God in our lives. I need it. You need it. We wouldn't be here today without it. When you get to the end of this story, uh, he says, these are people who don't know their left hand from their right. And see, Jonah is approaching them as if they understand all the covenant. They understand all the teachings of Yahweh. They understand everything that they're supposed to know. And they don't until Jonah steps up and says, here's the truth. And I think we do the same thing with people. We don't look at them with eyes of grace like we want God to look at us. We look at them and judge them as if they know everything that we know and they don't. And they've had experiences like we've had and they haven't. But God knows. And God understands. And that's why he's a God of grace and mercy. And that's why he calls us to be people of grace and mercy. I suspect that every one of us can think of someone, someone, a group of people, some situation that we would say they don't deserve the same kind of grace that I do. If we're honest. My prayer for us is that God would begin to reveal to us that they really do. And give thanks to God for the grace we have. And ask God to be agents of grace 
so they might see it and experience it too. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives. We are so undeserving, and yet we are so grateful. Change us. Change us. Transform us. Give us your heart. Through the power of Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Let us come together, walking in the Spirit. There's much to be done. We will come reaching out from our comforts, and they will know us by our love. Sisters, we were made for kindness. We can pierce the darkness as He shines through us. We will come reaching with a song of bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.